Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Boralesa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and the interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. Constraints are great. It makes you work smarter, think smarter. Just write something, start blogging, start creating content. You often feel alone, but you don't have to act alone. You could belong to a community and network. Yeah, having that North Star is important. And that North Star might change its location and you can change your own vision. Not only allowing yourself to make mistakes, but allowing other people to make mistakes. Thank you so much for joining me today on episode 39 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome my good friend, Fei Wu. Hi, Fei. Thanks for joining me today. So good to be here with you, Harshad. I'm, I feel like we've waited a little while for this to happen. So I'm, uh, I think this time together is very precious. Brilliant. Um, I hope all the listeners have had a relaxing summer break. It's so important to take time off to recharge and look after yourself. Thanks again for all your continued support. And we have some exciting guests lined up for the autumn. Please subscribe, like, and share if you enjoy the content. Now back to the show. They help small business owners craft video content to showcase their products and services and to grow their customer base with YouTube strategies designed to meet their business needs. She is a bilingual podcaster, English and Mandarin Chinese, the creator of FaceWorld Media, FaceWorld Podcast, and FaceWorld Documentary Series on Amazon Prime. Faye left her job in marketing and advertising to build a company of her own called Faye's World LLC with a mission to help small businesses and creative entrepreneurs tell better stories, find more customers, and create new revenue streams. She also teaches others how to run better Zoom meetings and webinars, own and monetize their content on YouTube via Faye's World Academy. Her stories have been featured by Dory Clark in her best-selling book, called Entrepreneurial You, as well as Harvard Business Review. Welcome, Faye. Thank you, Harsha. What an intro. Thank you so much for doing that. But but it's all true, Faye. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's hard sometimes with our bio. It's like, what do you write? Who is your audience? And I've had podcasters just riff based on their memories and versus, you know, letting me introduce myself and and reading that bio and it's sometimes so surreal to hear it not because oh wow you know i did i do any of those things but it's also like sometimes we we walk we live so fast as entrepreneurs and we rarely pause and give ourselves a little bit of applause and say wow okay well done no but i i think that's quite a interesting point you made there Faye, about almost congratulating yourself for the things that you've done because I think in life, sometimes we're always looking to the next step. And, mm -hmm. and it's good, I think, to pause and just say, okay, well done, uh, pat yourself on the back, rather than always thinking, oh, I, I haven't done these things. Because, you know, the world is always looking to 
put you down to some extent. So in a way, you have to not not do it in a narcissistic or arrogant way. But I think it's important to talk about it and you know try and promote yourself, but in a, in a nice way. So I'm a big fan of the arts. So is there a performer, song, novel, or film which you'd like to share with our listeners today? Sure. I've been thinking about um, not just Cirque du Soleil as a production company, but over the years, uh, partly because of my podcast, I got to meet so many circus performers from, for instance, Cirque du Soleil, Seven Fingers, you know, also the, the Montreal National Circus School. But I think about individual artists. And in this moment, the Atherton twins, so they're twins, they're also from the UK, uh, a town not too far from Manchester, I believe. And uh, they were gymnasts first, and then later in the early 20s, they watched the show and decided to become circus actors. I think it's just fascinating. For anybody who wants to learn more, it's at AthertonTwins.com. And both of them and their whole family and Andy's wife, Agassia Atherton, they're all prolific Instagrammers as well, uh, stunning photographers. So check it out. I love the creation process. Uh, feel free to listen to the episodes. I'm not here to to plug my own show, but it just that that creative process really inspires me and all of them inspire me. Oh, cool. Now, I'm a big um, fan of um, the arts and uh, especially ballet uh, and opera. Mm. And the whole idea, I think, of uh, being able to control your body, because I used to play a lot of sport when I was young. And, you know, it's, it's a similar sort of concept in the sense that there's a mental side and there's a physical side and you're trying to control one with the other. And I think, uh, especially with these performing arts or sport, um, talent is important. You, you, obviously, you have to have a base level of talent. But beyond that, it's very much a, a mental game. It's the inner game. And I think that translates very well to life as well. Even, you know, if you're creating um, YouTube content, a podcast, a film, uh, there's a huge mental process going on. Um, so I just find that you know, really interesting. I mean, what, what do you think, Faye? Yeah, absolutely. So funny that you mentioned the the mental and the physical. And I, I think it's so interesting to you. There's so much about your origin stories I would love to to really ask about as well. But when you mentioned mental and physical, after we set the idea, we set up the idea of uh, having this conversation, so much of martial arts training and learning that I've had over the years. Um, I started training when I was a little kid and it was just playing around. Until I was 18 in Boston, Massachusetts, I had taken it very, very seriously and progressing it 15 years later, getting my second and then third degree black belt. But there is so much of that mental game that is truly key. And what people see all the fancy stuff on stage, they don't think about, they don't realize 99% of the work that goes behind the scenes and so much that you can't see that's truly in the head. So we can definitely delve into that if you want to. Oh, yeah, no, no, totally. Um, and sort of going back to the beginning, obviously, you, you were born in uh, Beijing, but decided to move uh, to study in the U.S. in your teenage years. Mm -hmm. And I just love the fact that you were so courageous to make that move. I mean, what inspired you to do that? And I, I also saw that when you went to the U.S., you're on the ice hockey team, that, yeah, which is that's crazy. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, so I think I always had this longing of traveling, living abroad. But when you're a teenager, you know, you're so overwhelmed, overpowered and taken by the excitement. 
and the opportunity. So I had that. And frankly, I, I never thought of it as courageousness. And a lot of people do, you know, kind of talk to me about like how you were, so you just turned 17, you and your backpack and then snowy, <laughs> whatever Sunday in Freiburg, Maine. I just, for me, that was such, that was so liberating. And a little backstory, as you may know from your relative, your, Harsha, were you born and raised in the UK? No, I was born in Sri Lanka, but moved to the UK um, when I was very young. So yeah, but it's like the typical immigrant story moving across. My parents were both doctors. They wanted oh, to wow. get their qualifications. So I had no real choice. Um, so I was... <laughs> I immigrated as well. <laughs> oh, I did have any choice. Yeah, I want to be home. Uh, it's very exciting. You know, I came by myself and my parents weren't here and they still, I mean, my mom only moved here a few years ago more permanently. And yeah, it, I think it's that incredible feeling of starting something new completely on your own at such a young age. And frankly, now I'm in my late 30s. I look back to and, and realize that 17-year-old self has taught me so much. As opposed to, I know the question's always in reverse. What would you say to your 17-year-old self when you're so naive and, and fearful? I actually think, you know, it's just kind of the opposite. So um, given the educational system in China still today, it's really, really stressful. Uh, for me, it's just like I was getting a way out, you know, I, having a lot of the kids were frankly quite envious and and I realized it was a privilege to be able to do that and it was such a struggle getting the visa and getting everything lined up but that was a reason and in terms of hockey to answer your question more quickly it, it really I've always been uh, a fan of frankly pretty dangerous and reckless sports <laughs> starting with skateboarding and then you know martial arts a little bit but when I was 16 my mom had to travel during my winter vacation and said to one of her friends who was like 28 at the time to say oh could you bring my daughter to go ice skating and she was an entrepreneur i still remember she now lives in canada and she just brought me to the skating rink dropped me off there and picked me up and then sent me home i i'm so grateful to her and then i never really got to tell her and there at the ice rink i met so many friends i was immediately we just we immediately clicked fast friends and I played hockey with people from the America, the US and the Canadian embassies and learned very quickly. So I was determined six months later, I was on my way to the US. So I had to, right? The same way as I, I had to start a podcast. I had to start my business. That was the exact same instinct and impulse to say, I, I had to start playing hockey no matter what. And I ended up doing that with boys. So. <laughs> cool. There's everything in a nutshell. Yeah, no, yeah, good, good for you. And and just in terms of obviously moving to the US and having that transition, um, I mean that must have been quite tough in the sense that um, you're going from a community where yeah you're in the majority, um, everybody mm. you know looks like you, to going mm. to a country where you're in the minority. Um, did you find that transition difficult? And did it help? Um, to build your resilience because, you know, clearly uh, you don't have the support network of your family. You've got to make new friends. Um, I mean, what, what do you think, Faye? Yeah. So I just feel like I never realized so much parallel to kind of entrepreneurship. I'm definitely not rushing our conversation, but sometime in conversation with creators, I realized, wow, maybe that experience really helped. When I showed up, I was very lucky to be dropped inside a dorm room. So I was on campus living there full time. And I was faced with first 
all international students. And I cannot begin to tell you how special that was for me. So my roommate, for instance, uh, is German. All her friends next door. And then this interesting Freiburg Academy kind of purposely mixed us in with other international students. So you almost never see two Chinese students living together, two German kids living together. So you're four to speak English as a language as soon as you land. Um, I also just didn't really feel alone. There were four or five other Chinese kids, but they're all, they're about, I roughly say, maybe not a hundred, but maybe 60, 80 international kids. I felt like I was in this, on this international travel trip. But as soon as the school started, we were kind of dispersed into these American classrooms and, and kids, uh, we were different. And not only that, I remember how excited I was about this creative English class, except for I didn't learn any of the vocabulary. It was you literally felt so stupid. And then the next part of that class is about memorizing new words and being able to explain it. We'll be given like 15 words a day. And I literally wouldn't recognize any of any of those words, fancy English words. I didn't understand the definition. But I think at that point, you know, as as life goes on, you're you're forced in that situation. Do you I think your your mind just expands? Like the way I'm speaking a second language now on a more full-time basis. So that transition was tough. But another one I want to mention is physical in the sense that not only I was doing sports with girls, but being on a boys team, um, I learned so much of what is it like to be, how do I leverage my own potential to the maximum? Um, you know, what position do I play? I can't check them. I can physically literally cannot push anybody away. And that was so fascinating. I, I, I gotta say kudos to myself. I think so much of what I said just now to me was in my head and forever and always probably more impressive than some documentary on, on Amazon. Right? So. Uh, and actually, I just love that point you make, because I think sometimes in life, if you don't have um, maybe the physical skills or, um, you know, or you know, say family connections or mm-hmm. uh, access to a strong network, then actually you need to sort of almost go back to first principles and think, okay, there's this problem here. How do I get around it? How do I solve it? I, I mean, it's like being a say, a creator and starting off with no a zero audience. But then what, what you're thinking, think first principles. Yeah, how do I uh, create good content? How do I build relationships with people? Um, and actually, look, it takes time. And I think that's where people go wrong and not just in their career, but in as an entrepreneur or in the creative process that they think that, you know, things must happen overnight. Mm-hmm. But actually, um, you know, I think just take these small steps. You know, one of my previous guests was a, a lady called uh, Dr. Grace Lorden, who's written a book called Think Big. And she talks about making these small steps. And, and you never know, like, which video is going to like break out or when people are going to like you. But I think it's just about, you know, doing the work, doing good work, and hopefully um, you'll find your audience. Um, mm-hmm. So I just love that, the way, the analogy with, with hockey, that you have to think in this um, cleverer way in order to, to get on, because physically you just can't compete. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think embrace the constraints is something that I learned from many entrepreneurs. I think Seth Godin has mm-hmm. said, have put together examples and discussed the philosophy behind it. Constraints are great. It makes you work smarter, think smarter. 
And um, recently I was just in the actually in in-person conversation with my content manager, Anna, um, who's half Italian, half Swedish, and told me about her origin stories. And she's like a this digital nomad who spent a lot of time in South America, um, most recently in Guatemala. And she was so impressed by the local people and how good they are with their hands, how many solutions they have created, frankly, invented. And um, you know, and I think it's in the modern world, sometimes we're so uh, celebrative when it comes to money. Oh, we have all these things. I have all these gadgets. And it's like, I don't think that's nearly as impressive as you having to work with so many constraints. So to your point. Yeah. And, and actually when you're building up uh, your, say the podcast or the YouTube channel, actually not having any contacts forces you to be really, when you're resilient, you're going to get a lot of rejections. You just have to sort of, you know, just suck it up. But but also, I think it just, you, you just have to be very smart and think, okay, who am I connected with? Who might they know? Um, and actually the first uh, guest, proper guest I got, just got him through LinkedIn, um, through watching one, one of his YouTube videos. And then I just randomly, um, you know, uh, emailed him on LinkedIn and, you know, we got him on the show and, and then he suddenly become very sort of uh, big over the last year and a half. And I, I just managed to get him when he was on the rise. So I love it. Yeah, it, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and now he's so nice and, you know, on LinkedIn, he's always giving me shout outs and stuff like that. So you just never know. Um, and, and that, yeah, I, I had nothing particular to offer him, but purely by doing it in a nice sort of way, uh, you know, built a relationship. And I think it's much easier to do that than than you think. Um, I mean, what do you think, Faye? For sure. I think so many people uh, want to, you know, dive into something and they know, oh, my time is limited. This is time away from the family, from relaxation and all that. I got to get something in return, right? Um, and I think that's what a lot of people think. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. And uh, so I agree with you when you genuinely want to just ha have a conversation, right? This is not about, hey, I'm here just to plug myself or, you know, offer something of service and, and charge a lot of money for it. You're sharing this authentic conversation and people are more likely to be drawn to your work. In fact, these days with all everyone so bombarded with, you know, advertising from all fronts, it's like recommendations, you're truly exhausted. Um, so I, I would love, I love focusing on what can I give away for free 99% of the time and only charge for the final 1%. And chances are people think that, oh my God, your free content is so valuable. And this conversation is so pleasant. I learned so much from this free yeah. interaction. I cannot begin to imagine what I can learn from someone like you if I were to pay for your service. Yeah, no, I, I just love that point uh, you you make, Faye, because one one of my followers got in contact with me and and said, "Oh, yeah, really like your content," and it was very nice. Not that I, you know, I, I need people to to email me, but it's, it's always nice to hear when they they say Absolutely. they get value. And I think it's just you know when you build those small relationships uh, with people and you get feedback because I think especially in the creative process, feedback mm -hmm. is so important. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, because you get, ultimately we can create and, and produce things but uh, but if it doesn't resonate with your audience then you know what's the point to some extent i mean what's your view Faye? yeah feedback is really important um at the same time you know i believe that uh, follow you know learn from everyone follow no one and you have to be a little careful who you take advice from uh, so one thing is sometimes we have the tendency you know our spouses friends or family are the first line of 
uh, people or feedback providers. And they're so kind with their time, you know, sharing our content. But sometimes they may or may not have the most relevant feedback because in the long run, they might not be your readers, listeners, viewers, that sort of thing. But yes, in general, you also have to balance that your content is servicing a particular group of people for a specific type of need or needs and listening is important. Um, so, you know, ultimately you have to decide how to balance both. And that's, you know, I make it sound like, oh, somehow straightforward. It is not trivial, really isn't. In fact, recently, I'm like last night, I was exchanging emails with several creator uh, friends of mine who have been doing this for a little while. And we have the tendency to say, oh, let's the three uh, and five of us come together. We just keep promoting each other's content. Now that sounds like a good strategy, but uh, in general, if you don't have a um, shared goal, vision, or purpose, the whole thing, it, it will simply not work, right? And, you know, how do you create an ecosystem that elevates all of us? Uh, so that's fascinating. But I got to ask a question, Harsh. Like in conversations with you as a podcast or you also yeah. as a creator, your background studying at the London School of Economics, for people who don't know, that is like the Harvard of, you know, wherever, you, Harvard of it. America, Beijing University of uh, China, right? And, uh, but doing what you're doing, I, and then after that, you know, all your certification and the, the world that you've been living in, um, you know, working for big accounting firms and all that. So do, how did you overcome your constraints, resistance, or even your colleagues to be like, Harsha, what are you doing? None of us are doing this, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe all of them are doing this. Like, how do you find your voice? No, no, I think I think that's a great point, and it, it was very much by doing. Well, it, it all actually started from my interest in neuroscience and psychology, and mm -hmm. I started getting into that about five or six years ago. Went to a lot of lectures with a neuroscientist who actually became the first guest on on my podcast, um, and really did a deep dive into that. And then, you know, following that. Um, I started designing an app because I quite liked the whole idea of um, neuroscience uh, did and you know, uh, basically trying to uh, share your information with people. But obviously an app to actually mm -hmm. get it out there costs a lot of money. And mm -hmm. then I came across you know, podcasting and literally I had no ambitions to be a podcaster. But <laughs> you know, we, you know, during lockdown, like a lot of people, I was messing around with a friend. I recorded mm -hmm. an interview uh, for him uh, where he was um, he reached a, a 20 year anniversary in his career mm -hmm. that went well and I think with all these things if you do something and look you can't be perfect the first time you do it you have to just accept look it's going to be okay uh, but I think the more you do anything the better you become um, and, and and also I think it helps you to if you come from a sporting background like you were talking or a, a performing background you understand about failure and dealing with failure and almost um, reimagining you're having a vision and thinking, you know, just like you coming to America and, and thinking about your career, you think, mm -hmm. okay, I have a vision. The vision was to try and get this information out there, try to build a community, try and connect with people. Now I don't know where this thing is going to go, but mm -hmm. clearly I think if you can find people you connect with, um, you get good feedback, you produce good content, you know, even if there's no monetary uh, payoff at the end, you've still learned a great deal about, you know, um, how to present, uh, how to come across, how to interview people, um, and, and even um, you know, leadership. And I will come on to this later, but if you're starting a podcast, you're almost like uh, the CEO of a startup. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how to get things done. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you just have to get it out of the door. So yeah, that, that was my a summary of my story. <laughs> I love it. And I, you know, having you hearing you sh- share that and then people are not watching this part of the interview, they might not realize that both of us are creators of color. And I love that. And I try to instill so much of that in in my own podcast and when I appear on other people's shows, I, I just want to take an opportunity to emphasize how important that is. And there's a sentence, there's this, a couple of sentences I stole uh, where I want to leverage from Rebecca Tosic, who appeared very recently on during the New York Public Library's visibility talk series hosted by Gustavo Serafini, Helena Escalante. And uh, because Rebecca was, um, she was born as a normal child and she was diagnosed with cancer at the age of three. And as a result, you know, um, she is now in, she has been in wheelchair since she was three years old. And so as somebody who identifies herself with a disability and, you know, for us, there's some, I feel like there's some parallels where a lot of people see us at the beginning to say, especially for me, 2014 starting a show, be like, you are starting a show. Like English, not everybody, most people are supportive, but a couple of people are like, English is not a first language. Remember the mistake you made like yesterday? Remember that you're not standing at a podium here inside the agency to speak? Remember all all these things I was reminded of. So Rebecca said this, like, I think on Wednesday, I, I had to write it down. She's like, people like us, you know, there's that immediate deviation of the default that invites curiosity and wonder. And we are that, you know, embodied portal to that conversation, exploration, discovery. So all of a sudden, you know, I think leadership in combination with these cultural elements and God knows what it's like, it's very inviting. I think it creates magic. Yeah. And and I I think the things like diversity, equity, representation, I think, look, Mm -hmm. They, they are so important in the sense that I think it's about fairness in a way uh, that you it's nice to see people who, you know, look like you or share um, certain um, obstacles or barriers that you've had to face. And I think it does help when you see different voices. So on my show, I, I try to make it as diverse as I can. I mean, half of it is diverse anyway, the host. So, but you know, even with the the guests, um, you know, mix it up in terms of, um, you know, ethnicity, uh, gender, but, but also always trying to say, look, it's about getting the best people that I can get. Because I think, look, yeah, you, you, you want to yeah, help people out and you want to showcase people, but also you have a obligation to your audience as well yeah. that uh, you want to get the best people that you can get. But I think it's quite easy because there's such a big pool of people. It's quite easy to get very good people with also a good representation. Um, so, but everybody is welcome on the show, not just, uh, you know, uh, ethnic minorities and, you know, everybody can you know, come along. Um, and, and actually the, the person who gave me my first big break, Dr. Christia Bush is, um, you know, a German. So, uh, but he was, he was for the London School of Economics. So, but uh, other universities are all welcome here. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> But but sort of you know going back to sort of your story. So after college, and I think you went to Northeastern and studied computer science. Mm-hmm. I think you started off as a developer, but mm-hmm. I think you realized that doing that 
you know, that straight work coding and developing wasn't for you and you transitioned into project management. Does that align more with your strengths? Do you just want to talk a little bit about that journey, um, Faye? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I still have relatives uh, who live in Boston. And at the time when I was 17, I was, you know, seeking their advice, speaking of feedback and advice. And I heard the word, you know, the phrase computer science, knew absolutely nothing about it. So I'm, you know, really wasn't a, you know, then a 12 year old who loved computer science and programming, like most kids are these days and that make that smooth transition. So because I was pretty good with science and math in particular, and, you know, computer science is something that will guarantee a job. Uh, that was so critical, you know, having that traditional mindset and, and pathway into something that's guaranteed. Now we both know nothing is, I studied computer science and of course, a year into my college career, um, the US experienced that, you know, whole economical downturn. And I remember all three, all four, half of my class dropped out. Everybody wow. moved into business. We literally have 50% of the class that we started with. And then I had a decision to make. It was pretty quick. It was, I think, a freshman sophomore year. Um, and people were saying, oh my God, thank God I'm not a senior. Like those seniors are screwed. They can never <laughs> find a job. This is horrible. Mm. But, but then things change very quickly. I wanted to make that decision. And for me, I think what prevented me from learning something I would have absolutely loved, at least at the time I thought I would, I would have loved to learn digital marketing, maybe some aspects of business. I really would probably have wanted to learn graphic design, animation. That felt really like me, but I didn't. I didn't switch over. I said, you know what? I do want a job after I graduate. I actually also didn't have uh, any plans of going on to uh, graduate school. So I stuck around and I was also very lucky at the time. I was training a lot at my martial arts school, a quick call back here. And all my friends uh, at the time, still today, they're about, all my friends are like 10, 15 years older. All my friends are, you're so weird, Faye, why are you so weird? Um, but <laughs> I can kind That's of a good thing. <laughs> I, I know, I think being weird is, is cool. Uh, my parents had me a little bit later for their generation. So by the time when I was 12, all their friends' kids are in college. Oh, wow. So I've very, it's a pretty big difference. All my friends, I was 12 and they're like 20 years old. Oh, I felt so special. But my whole life, my, my friends had been older. And they said, I still remember this woman. She's like kind of frail, a little skinny. She said, well, you still have a few years left. Things change very quickly. <laughs> but Faye, what if you're the computer scientist with a personality, which most of them don't have? It's as simple as that. I kind of, uh, let me not move into business. And I just kind of stuck around in development. But the second part of your question is like, why do I switch into um, become a producer or a project manager? I felt like that was my strength. Now, there was a lot of challenge that came with that job because you need to satisfy the clients and the internal team. And eventually they both turn on you. And I had some really bad experiences in my career while trying to do the right and the good things. And so I switched over because I just did not want to be a cog in the system. I'm not saying all developers are, but at the time for my age, you know, I had no authority. I wasn't an architect. So I didn't want to be in a job like that programming away uh, in the dark corner. It was too sad for me, frankly. So very quickly, I realized that wasn't for me. So I moved on. 
And, and I lo- love the point you make about you know, project management. Sort of, you've got to serve two masters: basically, the um, client and the outside, but also the internal, and actually balancing that out. Because you know, I've, I've worked on projects. Um, I was trying to put a digital platform together, and you know, I, I was just a cog. I, I wasn't the project manager. But you can clearly see when things. You may not be going right and you're trying to get things done and and maybe the person you're working with isn't delivering so it's 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 tough balancing all those things together so but but i think you get some very good experience uh doing that um and also responsibility to to manage that process absolutely and the beauty for people who are considering that career path by the way what was so incentivizing was the ability to see throughout a project life cycle. How, how often do you get to do that? Developers, designers, people in any other role typically don't get to see that at all. You do from the very beginning, even ideation, even the sales process before that, all the way through the end, even through support and maintenance. I manage a lot of like ongoing support and maintenance projects. So that's one you get to learn from everybody because literally what I did was this. And in my twenties, I realized life is short. Uh, my dad passed away in my oh, mid twenties, but right. even prior, yeah, no worries. I, I I feel like I'm kind of okay to talk about life, death, and you know, in a very special place. Not living in the trenches right now. Yeah. Even before that, I realized life is short, and um, I would go up to a UX designer, so user experience designer, to say, "How do you do this? How do you do that?" I was just so curious, and some people are annoyed. It's like I don't have time. I don't want to teach you. But most people are like, "I would love to teach you." It gives them new life to the job they were doing. But fast forward, you know, five, 10 years, a decade later, everything I learned in that job, in those jobs uh, and projects enabled me to run a podcast, frankly, very smoothly. And now I have the bandwidth and the interest and curiosity to run other people's podcasts, for instance, Enable Disabled Podcast. And last night I had a conversation with a new prospect about running a show for her company that is growing very rapidly. Um, and literally after our conversation, I go, yep, here are the high level requirements, preliminary timeline, here are the resources you need, and here are the milestones. Do you agree or disagree? For me, something I can literally do in my sleep in 15 minutes where most people are like, oh, I don't know what goes in. What if I'm wrong? The estimates are wrong. Everything goes to hell. I just don't feel that way. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for what I learned. Yeah, and and actually, just going on to your you know, podcasting career, um, you obviously started it when you were still employed, and and I like the fact that you didn't have any particular expectations about it. You simply wanted to connect with some nice people, build relationships, have have good conversations. Uh, you know, very similar to to what I'm doing, um, and I just love that whole idea of look, just start start these small projects. Yeah. You never know; it, it could work out. It or on the other hand, it may not work. But just try. Um, I mean, what do you think, Faye? For sure. I want to use like a very weird metaphor, like eating ice cream, right? And most people like ice cream. I in particular, I've I've been an ice cream fan for a long time. Have you ever stood in front of an ice cream shop to say, wow, it will be, I love ice cream. Wouldn't it be great to get paid eating ice cream? You know, instead of me paying, what? Mm-hmm. yeah, you can work in an ice cream shop. But the point is, what if you don't have to work there and just get paid doing your favorite things in the world? And it's really hard. Um, you know, there are most artists, uh, I know you love performing arts, arts in general. You look back history, thousands of years, hundreds of years. Most of them did not make any money. You know, it was very hard. So when I think about podcasting, <laughs> For me, it was about working in corporate America. While he gave me stability and all that, there was a part of me that was completely 
neglected. I think many of us feel that way, even if you can't put a word to it or describe it in its perfect condition. So I just wanted to share uh, these conversations. If I'm able to learn something from the conversation, I was just hoping that one or two other people will feel the same way. And that would be enough for me. And I wish more people can believe in this approach as opposed to be this, let this be the one and only start a podcast, monetize within six months and let it take over your life and let it deliver three times the revenue. I don't even hear people that say like, well, I just hope you could uh, replace my full-time uh, job or revenue. Be like, no, I want to really accelerate. It's really hard. Um, and we don't hear about those hard stories. Uh, we don't talk about why it doesn't often work that way. So those are my two cents, but I'm going to pause here. <laughs> but, but, but I think you can actually flip, flip that on its head and reframe it and say, look, actually, okay, you may not make any money. You may not have an audience, but actually look at what you can do. You can connect with some interesting people, uh, which you wouldn't have been able to do without the podcast. You can learn new skills, uh, whether it's presenting, um, interviewing, just get being more confident. So I think there are always these things that you can pick up from it. But I think it's very much like, how, how do you want to spend your time? You can either watch Netflix, which you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how popular that is these days, or, or just waste time on social media. Or you can actually do something. And, and for me, fair, it's really weird that you know sometimes I actually like um, taking the content and just thinking how I can chop it up into different, you know, repurposing it. And I oh, find that really I interesting. But 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 yeah, it's not worked for me. I just think, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Or you get ideas from you know, little phrases from conversations. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. So I think it's really you, know, you don't have to sort of sell the house or sell the farm, but just start these small experiments and see where they end up. Um, yeah, just love that. And and uh, sorry, go ahead, Fred. Oh, I was just thinking like uh, you know, once you, you do something long enough, like you mentioned, I remember for me it was twenty four. 2014, within six months, people on the show reach out to say, oh, that was a great conversation, Faye. I also noticed you're a digital marketer. Uh, do you build websites? I literally had five to seven website projects within six months. Then it was about, it was interesting. I still remember, do you know how to build a Wikipedia, Wikipedia page? And I go, uh, I haven't done it, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> oh, here's a thousand dollars. And it was really interesting about how insignificant these things appear to be. And then, of course, you know how to interview other people. So now, nowadays, you know, I have interviewed Steve Wozniak and, you know, uh, John Mackey from Whole Foods and all these people on other people for other people's companies. Uh, I've been hired to do all these Mark Cuban most recently. And so all of a sudden your skills are very, very transferable from this creative endeavor that you're taking on. Uh, you may not be able to do that if you work for an accounting firm, if you work for an IT firm using their old software from 95, you might not be able to trans transfer those skills. So I just want to mention really briefly that monetization opportunities are everywhere. Don't just count on advertising. I want Nike to sponsor me. I want Apple to pay attention to my podcast. No, that is the, the wrong path for you. And, and actually, I think that's a really great point that you mentioned, because actually, yeah, for me, if, if, I, if I'm thinking about the monetization path, it's actually uh, finding people who, you know, say, like my um, interviewing style or they like the way I present. And then maybe, you know, like you, I could get to interview some famous people and get paid for it. So it doesn't have to be just from advertising or sponsorship. 
It mm. could be these other things that come off. And actually, those are probably much more lucrative much um, more. and and actually more fun in, in a way. Um, you know, I think those uh, higher ticket um, type things are amazing. And by the way, Steve Wozniak, how, I, I love um, you know, Wozniak and Jobs. What was yeah. it like to interview Wozniak? Was, that must have been amazing. He was really lovely. And also, we, I, I love one-on-one -on -one conversations, but when I interviewed him, we're sitting in front of uh, live, you know, a few thousand live audiences, and then that the recording would be watched by like 10,000 people later on. But I was so surprised by how normal of a person he is. He was super chill and uh, very easy to talk to. I also love the opportunity before we go live in front of thousands of people, it was just us, uh, me, him and the organizer were chatting. He was talking about traveling, how COVID has impacted his life, his, you know, traveling and speaking engagements. It was fantastic. And Mark Cuban was the same way. It was so relaxing and, uh, and then it also made me think, right, Harsha, like on this topic, I realize I, just all these preconceptions that we have for for people and that oh you know harsh and fair are not oh, we're not so we're not famous yeah. maybe this is not the conversation for you but i think a lot of people have gotten to where they are yes they worked hard a lot of people work hard there's always that bit of a luck and being in the right place at the right time and i think of these people as what can they give back now i think that is a huge measurement as opposed to how much money they have you know some of my friends are like oh they're billionaires i'm like but are they giving back what are they doing uh, what they would have access to now. So uh, I, I'm going to stop riffing. I, I tend to go on about these things. No, no, I, I just love that. Vigorously. And, 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 you know, I, I've been like a big fan of um, Steve Jobs and, and Wozniak. And I remember back in the day when he had left Apple for the first time and he was, I think, starting next. And and, yeah. and this, uh, what I find fascinating about his story is that uh, Scott Fitzgerald talks about there are no second acts in American life. And basically, he was the top of the mountain. He was the the king of Apple. Then they, mm -hmm. you know, he left. He mm -hmm. and then he went and started his own company. You had Pixar, and then he came back to Apple. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 this whole idea of vision. I think the the great thing about him is that he had this vision about what he wanted the Apple to be. And sometimes, in a way, if you're a creator, you can be almost ahead of you know the population and, yeah. and almost you have to tell them, look, this is what you should be doing. And, and if you think of, you know, I love um, the whole, you know, I love music. I love the iPod and this whole idea of having literally a, you know, a music library in your pocket is just mm -hmm. such an amazing concept. But until you create that, turn that into reality and give it to people, people mm -hmm. don't really know um, that they should be using it. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about vision? Because I think you've obviously had a vision about where you want to take your company and your career. And I think having that North Star is very important. Um, what, what do you think, Faye? Yeah, having that North Star is important. And that North Star might change its location and you can change your own vision. And one thing I would also say is like, you change, you transform so rapidly as a creator, just like you said, because you're kind of a your own visionary. So from 2014 at the time, I was already like 30, 31, right? I'm 39 now. For most people, it's like, well, you do grow and you learn new things in your 30s. But I literally feel like 
we're transforming at, at the speed of light. It's like I somehow, like I was born when I was 30, like I'm still crawling. Now I'm learning how to walk and running all these things that are thrown at you that you have to learn. Then frankly, oftentimes, especially at the beginning, you don't have the budget, you don't know who to go to. Um, and it, I know it's a separate conversation if you wanna get into it. You know, I hired a producer and an editor in 2016, two years later. In retrospect, I probably should start even sooner. A social media manager in 2018 and a content manager in 2020. So now I have a, like a very solid team of four people and some contract contractors. So you don't, you don't have to be the only person to realize your vision, execute on it. Um, having other people really help. One of the things that we talked about via email exchange is that you often feel alone, but you don't have to act alone. Uh, you could belong to a community and network and having other people listen to your show and reflect and mention certain things would be like, really he said that that's brilliant and oh thank you so much you're being reminded of what's going on as opposed to working solely in your head um that was very helpful which is something i didn't realize before i had thought that i'm like this lone wolf that i have to hold this vision and i'm the i'm the warrior to keep marching forward no you you could have a small army who's there with you and um so anyway so speed of change having the team and you know, trusting your instinct and, and building a, a long, like, you know, Doris Clark, like new book, the long game with many, many O's, like really you're here in the long haul. You're going to have so much more fun. You know, and I just love that point. And, and the fact that you built your business essentially from nothing, you just had mm -hmm. yourself, you had your vision. I, I think that that helps you to develop leadership skills because mm -hmm. you know you're thinking okay i have a limited budget i need to create these things by this sort of deadline mm -hmm. um can you maybe talk about some of the things that you learned in terms of leadership because i think it's really helpful for you know other people out there who are thinking about going out on their own and maybe they haven't led teams or uh, managed projects mm -hmm. um yeah you know, how, how 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 did you take the leap and what things have you learned for sure. I think when it comes to leaderships, it, it's the same concept. So in my role, I think about leaderships as I'm leading my clients. For instance, some of them, let's say, have fear in front of the camera. A lot of my projects are around YouTube strategy and production. And you notice these world level prolific speakers and authors, they have their own fears that they have to overcome. So you have that leadership role to guide them through. And in, in many scenarios that I am uh, the younger person in the room, uh, I have less travel on stage experience than they do, yet I'm there to be a thinking partner, um, to kind of have a leadership role in such a case that we're, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm not screaming, yelling at them, I'm not a motivational speaker, but I'm just there along the side of, you know, with the vision that they have and kind of walk with them. And that's a beautiful leadership role that you can take on. I think leadership is so, it's like a kaleidoscope now. There's so many shades and colors. It's really not just one thing, right? Standing on a pedestal to say, here, I'm telling you what to do. And the other leadership position I'm seeing myself um, in is leading my own team, like this um, entourage I mentioned, like the four of us. So when you hire someone, for instance, from the Philippines, or you work with someone who's traveling, or, you know, don't, English is not their primary language, you're working with them at a capacity where you can grow so much. Uh, and you can leverage their insights from like the, the cultural aspects of it. And you learn very quickly in that way. And it's also about not 
only allowing yourself to make mistakes, but allowing other people to make mistakes. And how do you acknowledge, address them? Um, and one thing that I want to mention is in their leadership to me, it's not just about talking, setting new rules, having these heartfelt conversations. Great. Check. The others that you actually have to build something that actually helps the team and you have to listen to them. If the team says that, no, we don't need a complicated processes. You can't just, you can't have this, you know, sort of, um, what is the word I'm looking for? You know, that, that kind of cockiness of like, I want to create something that impressed me and it's about my company. No, let's co-create something that people actually use and find it helpful. So lately I invested a lot of uh, time and energy into creating SOPs. So standard operating procedures as detailed as open this file, you know, look at this document. This is where it needs approval. This is where it's not. And when that system breaks down a bit, start of the conversation again, like my uh, content and my social media manager, Rose said, well, this is for, you know, something like Faye, this is what it should be about. And I said, let's go back to the document together. Let's edit that. So things about that, you have to be very iterative, respectful, listening, be good listener and, and act accordingly. So uh, that's it. Obviously I have to lead myself as well, but I think that's a whole mindset thinking conversation. Um, but does that help? Um, no, I, I, I love that thing because I think, you know, sometimes people think, okay, a leader has to be, you know, look a certain way, be, you know, um, uh, have, uh, have a presence, charisma, all these sort of things. But actually I think going forward, leadership uh, can be in many different forms. And it's interesting. I was never particularly interested in leadership and with my career, for some reason, I always managed to, you know, well, when I was getting promoted and going up the ladder, I always seemed to be the most junior, even though I was relatively senior position wise, I was still relatively junior in the team. So I never got into that position. You know, I never had a problem with uh, like project management, but you know, there were always people ab above me. But mm -hmm. I think now that I'm doing, say, the podcast and the YouTube channel and just creating, now mm -hmm. I have a vision. And I, you know, if I had, say, 10 people working under me, I could, I, I feel that I, I would be able to deal with that. And I feel that I have learned leadership more by like a DIY way rather than any formal professional training. But I think it's, it's really about, you know, you need to speak to people. You have to understand people, understand where they're coming from. Uh, and obviously you want them to develop as well. And, and sometimes in a way, look, people will get to the stage where maybe they have to go off elsewhere. And, mm -hmm. you know, that I think that's the way of the world. You know, people yeah. can't always be the junior forever. They, they may need to go and create mm -hmm. their own vision. Um, and, and in a way, look, it's sad, but um, that's just part of life. And, and hopefully you, you've built up good um, relationships. So they'll help mm -hmm. you later on down the line. Um, I mean, what do you think? Faye? Oh, that, this is this touches upon something I think it's so important and I haven't had a chance to talk about it or record it so I want to just kind of share it here yeah, which sure. is uh, leadership it's something that needs uh, better and uh, kind of more versatile and more diverse definition these days so when you mention that someone that I have been working with and training leaves the team I had this happen to me in early 2016 and it was like a blessing in disguise, right? I really like this uh, young man who was like, I, who was learning to edit podcasts. And I, together, I mean, it was really a lot of devotion training. And within less than two months, 
uh, he just sent me this email, right? It wasn't even like a conversation. There was no um, offboarding plan or anything. Send me this email to say, Faye, I, I got this job and I'm really overwhelmed. I don't think I'll be able to work on this anymore. I, I was like, I felt a sense of sadness, frankly, and because I had no one else and I just trained this person. I don't know where he left things off. And now all of a sudden, you know, I still had my full-time job at the time um, and I just didn't know what to do. And I opened up a, a job description on um, Upwork and I found this young man, Herman, who's ever been with me ever since who's like my soulmate. We, you know, we, we were much beyond just like, oh, producer and yeah. co-producer. I have to say along the uh, along the way, there came Rose, there came Honor, they're still all with me. I haven't had anybody who, who left me since. But I tell them all the time, I said, if you ever decide or choose to move on, it will be such a pleasure. It will be an honor, number one, for me to have worked with you. If you can carry any of the things that you learn from FaceWorld, carry that forward, help other people with their, with their podcasts, with their YouTube channel. And that is the best way to pay it forward because um, I felt this way, right? And I have another reason to to kind of mention this is recently I had this like anxiety around my mom's artworks, as you can see in part of my videos, it's actually all over the house. She's 70 years old. She is one of the last few people in her generation of master artists who possesses incredible skills. And uh, she's painting these four meter long meetings on silk out of this world. I had this anxiety for a little while now, for a few years, to be honest. I'm okay with face world, whatever, taking its shape. But I was like, oh my God, I have no kids. My mom's getting older. Who's gonna, who's gonna carry this forward? Who, who's gonna <laughs> protect these paintings? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, mm. right? Like, who's gonna protect these? Who's gonna tell these stories? Yeah. Um, and this anxiety. All of a sudden, I realized this as you brought up your question uh, recently. Is it's really about the people you touch along the way, in the most microscopic ways that you know, imaginable. Since I started sharing mom's artworks as pictures, as Instagram reels, she does, she has, you know, like 500 followers, um, but her videos get five, 6,000 views each day. Cool. And it's incredible. And I thought about, wow, all these comments, emails we get, I'm, I just retired. I want to start painting. Uh, I'm a 30 year old artist. I was just about to give up and I saw your mom's painting. I think this is what matters. It's not the physical goods. It's not about the money, the reputation, the Wikipedia page. What's another bullet point under your name? I think it's really about the shared life. We're walking each other home and we want to just be part of that journey and making other people's life just a tiny little bit better. That's all we can do and that's enough. Yeah, no, I, I just love that. And I think, yeah, it, it's about, you know, um, doing the work, uh, following the process and the journey. Hopefully um, you touch people, um, you add something to their lives. Um, and yeah, it's great that you've got your team uh, still with you, but you know, you, you never know what happens in life, do you? And, 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 and I think it's worse to stop people from progressing because, you know, I mean, imagine if you were working for somebody, you'd hope that they would um, also wish you well on, on your journey. If you got a, a better opportunity, which uh, was yeah. taking your career forward. Um, yeah. Do you think so? Absolutely. Very supportive of that. It, exactly. You want people to grow. And you're right. When I, the people I helped and when they were 22, when I was working at different agencies, people said to me, Faye, did you know that helping young people grow and never get you promoted? You should be doing all these things. I said, no, I, I'd love 
teaching people who are younger. And when I started my career, when I started my own company in 2016, all these 22 year olds became 30 year olds and they're all hiring me. They're all reaching out. They're all mid managers. Now it's, it's incredible. It's not like, it's not payback time. It's like people are thinking of you for all the things that you did for free and to help them grow. Yeah. And, and I think that really does emphasize the point of, uh, building strong personal relationships because I think it's much easier to work with somebody if you like them and you get on with them obviously they have to be able to deliver but you know um, there there are a lot of people who can deliver but they're not a lot of people you can get on with and have a a fun time with and I think especially if you've got tight deadlines and things go wrong um, yeah for me I try to you know things go wrong you obviously you grieve for a bit but you just have to suck it up and, and move on. And I think dwelling is is terrible. So if I was working with somebody who kept on dwelling about things, you know, looking backwards rather than forwards, because I think in life, it's about the opportunities that are ahead and not the ones that have gone. I mean, it's like in the dating world, forget about who's dumped you, look forward. You know, there are like six, bi- six billion other people out there, three billion or whatever the numbers are. There are a yeah. lot of people out there. So, I mean, go and find somebody else, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely <laughs> true. All right. It, it, this is, you know, this is one of many conversations you and I are going to have with each other, with other people. And it's a, it's a drop in the bucket. It's very significant in our world, but we have to look at, every piece of effort as in drip by drip this is all you know accumulating and hopefully it will form something like a little river or something which is all they're all going somewhere and um you just you can't dwell too much and you know i think the way that we learned to grow up about having this fancy wedding having someone to be there with you forever yeah that's a that's, you know, a, a great story, but reality often is very different. And should you hold on to a relationship that no longer serves you? The answer is no. That's a really hard one as well to, to purposely part ways. Um, and that's something, you know, lessons I'm still learning. And I have notes <laughs> written down here, letting go relationships that no longer <laughs> serve me in the right way. And sometimes people do come back in together, right? Like maybe not right in that moment. So we have to be very flexible. We have to be fluid. Um, yeah, and, and I think sometimes people get caught up in these narratives. As you were saying, you have to be married, you have to have kids, you have to hit these milestones. But actually, who are you doing that for? Um, you, know, like, you know, all these people who actually have no part of your life. Uh, actually, just like focus on what you can control to some extent, not that you can control everything. Um, mm-hmm. And forget about all the, the other stuff, because sometimes there are all these things which are completely out of your um, you know, control, you can't really influence. Um, mm-hmm. And you just get completely anxious and worried uh, needlessly. Whereas if you think about what you can do and uh, the people that are in your life and who are in your corner and not the people that aren't, then uh, I think reframing in that way is very powerful. Um, what, what do you think, Faye? Yeah, for sure. You, you can control your yourself to a certain degree. Yeah. And I, I, I'm someone who do believe, you know, mental health is very important. Depression is very, very real. Motivating yourself is not always possible. Uh, respecting the boundaries is important. With that said, you know, if you're watching this, if you don't remember anything else, but if you want to put your words out there, just write something, start blogging, start creating content, start picking up that fancy phone we have in our hands that we we don't realize that you have everything you need 
to create, to share something, uh, whether it's a short 30 second Instagram reel or you're feeling a little ambitious and then want to record a 10, 12 minute YouTube video and start your own channel, just do it. Um, you know, you really, this is how you grow and this is something you can control. I think especially for people who are a little hesitant, maybe female, maybe women in particular about this, you know, societal pressure and expectation of us looking a certain way. I've recorded many videos late at night where I feel like, oh, my skin is so greasy. I'm like, oh, I'm not even going to powder it down. I'm just going to do it. I hope the filter works a little bit better this time. You know, we, we do like a very, very light kind of color, the, the footage, but very minimum uh, editing and just do it. People don't comment or expect you to look a certain way. It's all in our heads. Like, who are we doing this for? Yeah. Get yourself out there. And I just, I love that. I love seeing all the content out there, but don't have the expectations that other people will find it mesmerizing or like think it's absolutely incredible. Just put something out there for yourself um, and don't expect an audience uh, immediately, but it's gonna, it's gonna pay off in many different multitudes of ways that you can't even begin to imagine right now. I guarantee it. Yeah, and I, and I just love that whole idea of just getting out of your head. Don't um, don't listen to the negative self talk. Don't mm -hmm. think about um, you know likes or shares or whatever. Just do mm -hmm. it. Get it out there. And it could be your first video is popular. It could be your tenth. It could be your hundredth. Mm -hmm. But you just need to keep going and getting it out there. And I think by producing content, you're also building your personal brand you're uh, helping the world um, get to know you better. Now, say for me, um, you know, because I've got some content out there, if people are looking to know a bit about me, they'll just look at the videos or the podcasts and hopefully they'll see that, you know, I can at least interview people to a certain extent or they like mm -hmm. what I do and the same with your content. So mm -hmm. I think it's just about getting it, getting good stuff out there um, mm -hmm. on the internet and hopefully people will be able to find you um mm -hmm. now, now fit where we're sort of coming up to the end of our time and um is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to who's helped you in your career or even family um obviously your mom i'm sure has has been a big influence and, and your dad as well but is there any, anybody else you know i know i already mentioned uh dory clark by name but and i know that we're also connected through sure. her network but literally just the other day i just felt really grateful her name came up and i haven't mentioned her live in a little while but i met uh, dory clark in 2015 i believe interviewed her a few times and she put me in her book i'm so grateful but also just because the other day i was you know with family driving to montreal in a six-hour drive and I just sat there and I was like, oh, I'm really grateful to have these friends and inspirations in my life. And I text her, she texts right back. And I said, you know, Dory, just really grateful to have you in my life. Because I think about you know, being a creative entrepreneur later on in life, I might not have kids. I hopefully have some friends who are younger than me and have some people in my life as I as I age. But Dory just came through my mind as someone I, I trust and I really admire um, who is so often selfless and, you know, help other people in our group and uh even that i'm far away from her i think of her as someone who's giving me ideas like you know making me feel that i'm on the right path and i'm always grateful for that cool yeah no i love dory um i have sort of followed her for a number of years and also joined the rex community as well yeah when you can see other people they're not very different from you or i if yeah. they can succeed then it gives you inspiration that you can do it if you put in the work and um hopefully good things will happen but as you're saying it's not going to happen overnight unless right. you're very lucky 
um, and it may take a while. But yeah. in a way, that's part of the the good thing because then you get the bad podcast episodes. Uh, yeah, you develop your style. Uh, exactly. You become more confident in front of the camera. Um, so I think that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I love the still many of my first YouTube videos from like late 2019, for instance, mm -hmm. have like no view. When I say no views, it's <laughs> like, okay, 10, 12, really, 50 yeah. views. It was awesome because people are like, if you talk to an empty room, it's so lame. No, it's not. You have full liberty to do whatever you want. I mean, produce positive and good content. But it's absolutely okay if you're not that good. That's exactly what the, the beginning of anything is for. You, you won't be good. Just take it. Just believe in that the fact that you're not going to be good until you practice and it will come later. And there's so much freedom to creativity uh, if you believe in that philosophy. Fantastic. So Faith, th thanks obviously for uh, giving up more than an hour for, for our interview. Um, and obviously I'll make sure all your uh, social media details website is all on the uh, show notes um, when the interview comes out but mm -hmm. obviously thank you so much for your time um, and really appreciate you spending the time with us today thanks thank you, Harsha my pleasure take care bye 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 thank you so much for listening and staying to the end that was such a fun interview if you'd like to listen to more episodes please subscribe to the podcast which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.